0: take their soul to the next level and I've been able to partner with Mind Valley to present you guys with a ton of free master classes between 60 and 90 minutes covering mind body, soul relationships and conscious entrepreneurship Some of these master classes are taught by spiritual masters, relationship experts, best-selling authors, legends in the personal growth and spirituality space and so much more. So if you want to sign up for any of our free mind, body, and soul masterclasses, just head over to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or or any of the companies they represent. Now, today on the show, we have near-death experiencer Nancy Rines, who is the author of the book, Awakenings from the Light. She has been on NBC's Today Show, and her friends call her the atheist who went to heaven. What was so fascinating about her NDE is that she has been trained most of her adult life to be a scientist and a skeptic. She identified as an atheist or agnostic since she was in her late teens, and her near-death experience did not only change the way she looked at life, but also death as well. She found no religion, no dogma, just love. So let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show Nancy Rhymes. How you doing,
1: Nancy great how are you doing
0: i'm doing fantastic thank you so much for coming on the show i'm excited to talk to you and hear your journey and 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 what you've done with your life since your near-death experience and we'll talk about your book awakening awakens from awakenings from the light and so much more but my very first question to you my dear is what was your life like before this spiritual awakening before this near-death experience (laughs)
1: nothing like it is now. Uh, It's so (laughs) different. Uh, You know, my early childhood, I was actually a fairly spiritual kid. And that's an interesting um, Mm. way to start life. I was probably even more spiritual than most kids. I don't even know where that came from. It was just part of who I was. But then when I got into my late teens, um, even into my early 20s, when I started to really question you know I was brought up in a specific uh, Christian form, form of religion
2: mm-hmm.
1: I started to kind of question that and some stuff happened that really made me take a step back from all of uh, my thoughts on spirituality and, and then I went into I studied art for a while went to art school and then I went to A university and got a you know basically two different degrees, one in uh, geology and one in archaeology. So very different from um, spiritual stuff. And and I that's where really once I immersed myself in the sciences, I became not just skeptical of the spiritual world. But really, a complete like critic. Um, and that wavered a little bit, depending on the point of my life I was in. But basically, for the next, you know, couple of decades, almost, I was really identifying as a scientist, meaning, but not as a real like a real scientist is super curious. I understand that now. Back then, I wasn't. I was very strict and like, oh, none of that stuff even exists. How can people believe that? Whatever. So by the time I had this NDE in 2014, I'd been a, you know, at least an agnostic for a very long time, Um, pretty much an atheist, non believer but by the time this happened, I was not feeling, I was in my mid forties. I was not feeling super happy with my life. I wasn't unhappy, but I wasn't deeply contented or, or, um, satisfied with where I was in my life. And I thought maybe I just need a new job or something.
0: (laughs) very blocked, kind of like I was like eh. it doesn't hurt but it doesn't not hurt it's kind of like I'm in like that weird space
1: yeah I used to call it limbo like I didn't really know what I wanted to do with myself or where I was gonna go next I really just assumed um and that I would get a different job and honestly if the NDE happened that's probably what would have happened um I would have just gotten a different job somewhere else and kind of soldiered on with it but but that's where I was. I was in this weird state that we, you know, a lot of us find ourselves in that state, even, you know, now, even after I've had this experience, once in a while, I still get a little bit like, I don't really know where this is going. But now I trust that the direction will come to me or I will get on the right path. Back then, I had no trust in myself or, you know, any kind of divine, guidance at all um so i was struggling i was really struggling at that point
0: so so tell me about your near-death experience from the you know the whole the whole process if you will
1: yeah it's actually kind of a long story um and I'll try to make the, the the accident part of this pretty brief, because this was all precipitated by a car versus bicycle accident. And I was on the bicycle.
0: Uh, generally not a good place to be. No. <laughs> generally,
2: generally speaking. No.
1: I mean, a, at that time, I was living near Boulder, Colorado, which was a huge, it still is a huge biking community.
0: Hiking, biking. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Really strongly outdoors. So it wasn't a big deal. I used to bicycle to work like three times a week. And that was like 15 miles one way. So I was mm-hmm. used to being in traffic. People would see you and it, it wasn't that big of a deal. But but I had taken a little bit of time off work between Christmas and New Year, that New Year holiday break um, that one year. It was 2014 and Colorado winters are actually pretty nice for the most part there's cold times but then there's also warm times and this happened to be fairly warm so I went out on a bike ride one of those days that I was off from work over the holiday and not even I didn't even make it I think a half a mile from my house and went into a traffic circle which was new back then for, you know, this little town I lived in. People didn't know how to navigate these things. It was, and it was not well designed for cyclists. Um, There was, you know, a bike lane coming in and a bike lane going out, but, but nowhere in the, in this traffic circle for a bike to be. And it was very narrow. So I did the best I could navigating it, knowing that there was other, you know, other traffic around me. And as I'm coming in, there's a, there's a very large SUV, uh, like a truck sized SUV coming in from my right. And, and I thought she was stopping. She didn't stop. Turns out later she was texting. And I always use this as a teaching moment. This is why you don't want to be texting while you're driving. Um, she was texting as, as she was trying to navigate this traffic circle, which, was not good for me. She ended up hitting me on broadside. So, you know, like this and I don't even like the first part of this, this is the only part of this whole experience. I don't remember the rest of it is crystal clear. (laughs) Um, I somehow ended up, I flipped up off the bike and ended up on the hood of her vehicle looking in at her. and. <laughs> I don't know. it's like a I, movie. <laughs> it really in honest to gosh, it was it felt like it honest and as I'm in this, you know how you hear people talk about like time being dilated. Yeah it felt like forever. like this split second felt like an eternity. And what I'm thinking as I'm going through this accident, It's just like Indiana Jones, that first movie where he's on
0: the the hood and he's trying to. Yeah, 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 (laughs) yeah.
1: That's And and if you have that picture in your mind, that's basically what happened to me.
2: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
1: Except I wasn't in full body armor when this happened, you know, I <laughs> and there wasn't a stunt
0: person doing it for you.
1: Great, <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's actually, you know, if you have that picture in your mind, that's really what happened. She kept driving because she didn't see me. She was so bent on texting that she didn't see this person. She didn't the feel the hit. She didn't feel the hit. She didn't hear anything. She just, and the other thing is that she had her driving glasses off so that she could text better so (laughs) so she didn't have like her her um her vision was really only clear up to like a couple of feet from her from her face so she really didn't see anything beyond like arm's length because she was driving in violation of you know Mm -hmm. of her license so anyway she kept driving and it really was like that point in in indiana jones where he's sliding off the the vehicle kind of went over the edge and then underneath that's basically what happened to me but when i hit the pavement i i actually heard like bones breaking so i knew this was not good and um and all i'm doing is i'm trying to survive at that point i somehow got my i had a little backpack on and had that there's a chest strap that goes across here that got hooked on something underneath of her vehicle something on her axle i'm still not really sure what so that was kind of dragging me but i also reached up didn't i wasn't even thinking and i and i reached up and i grabbed a hold of her axle um so that i wouldn't get run over so so think about it she's in a turn going into this traffic circle if I wouldn't have done that her back wheels would have run over me right so I bit I was kind of in a bad spot like I didn't have any other options I I could either you know try to hang out underneath her vehicle until she straightened out or or you know let go and try to try to not get run over um
0: because it's on a curve. So it's not straight. So if it was straight, like Indiana, you could have just gone right to the back, but right. because she was on a turn and a continuous turn. You yeah. would have just been eaten up by the by the back tires.
1: Yeah. It would not have been a good, a good thing for me. I would not have survived that. Um, as it, so as it was the, the, the first interesting thing that I noted, um, again, this all felt like it was taking forever, but when I hit the pavement, my, you know, my shoulder and and hip on my left side hit the pavement. And um, what I noticed is when that happened, this was the first weird thing that I noticed weird (laughs) back then. I noticed that all of a sudden there was a part of my consciousness that wasn't in my body anymore. Mm. And this was kind of freaking me out because nothing in my training as a scientist in the physical sciences anyway, had prepared me for that ever happening. You know, we were taught that the brain produces consciousness. And once, you know, once the brain goes, that's it. And all of a sudden there was a part of me and I, and now I would term it, you know, my higher self or my soul um, was, all of a sudden, outside of my body, watching the accident from like maybe 75 feet away, off on the grass, and I'm off on the side. And I had this really unusual dual view of the accident. So there was like what I call the human level of consciousness was still in my body. And that was animal survival, you know, <clears throat> fear, trying to stay alive. And then that other part of me was so different it was very calm and very loving and just very present and and, and kind of talking me through the whole thing like don't worry this is going to be okay it's it's supposed to happen this way but it's gonna you're gonna be fine and and to be able to see the accident from both vantage points was like starting to blow my mind. <laughs> I had no idea. It's that a lot, be- There's
0: a lot going on in this split second. I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I, I realized that and I, and I made the quick decision that I couldn't focus on that because I had no idea what it was and I just needed to focus on survival. So I sort of ignored it. I wasn't fully ignoring it, but I, I was sort of putting it on the back burner to, to handle later. And, uh, and I just worked on surviving. So finally, uh, one of the other vehicles, you know, in this whole area got in front of this woman's truck SUV and headed her off. And so he stopped her. And that's when, you know, they called all the bystanders called the paramedics and, and they got me to the hospital. The funky thing is um, that my, that separated state of consciousness stuck with me. I was in that dual state for several minutes until the paramedics arrived
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, just kind of witnessing, <laughs> it was very weird to see the accident from both perspectives. And, and I was also super lucky. Um, I don't know that this was, you know, this was probably divine intervention here. If you want to believe that. And I do now, um, the guy that was driving, he was driving a Subaru that was behind me coming into the traffic circle was a trauma physician at the hospital, a half a mile away. (laughs) (laughs) And a, it was a weird time of day for him to be going into work. He was called in because it was a busy day, so it was like ten thirty in the morning.
0: So he shouldn't have been there, is what he you're saying.
1: Have, he shouldn't have been there. And there was a trauma nurse also oh, in a different vehicle <laughs> coming in at the same time. So the two of them, lucky for me, converged yeah. on me and and helped me until they got me into the ambulance. Oh wow. Um, yeah, if they <laughs> hadn't done that, my, my, it turns out that my spine was in pretty tough shape, as you could well imagine. Right. I had, um, I had a lot of broken bones and most of them were in my neck and my, my lower back. If they hadn't been there to keep me down on the ground, I, my instinct was to get up and run. That was just like, I wanted to get up and run away. I couldn't control it.
0: <laughs> and I'm imagining, and because I've heard I've heard stories like this before, but pain had to have. What was the pain situation like when you're lying on the floor? Is it numb? Or is it so far, so much pain that you can't even feel it? Like it burns too hot? What was the feeling like at that? I wasn't.
1: Yeah, I wasn't feeling. It's a good question. I don't think anybody's ever asked that. Um, there was no pain at all.
0: So that's, so that's something so interesting about what you're going on with you, because naturally you break all the bones in your body. It's going to be some sort of pain, but I guess the adrenaline might've been pumping so much. The, uh, you know, the, 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 the moment something is blocking the pain receptors from you on right. a logical physical standpoint for yeah. you to feel pain. Cause you should be in excruciating pain. Cause when you said, I just wanted to get up and run, like how? how could you even think about, I would be in so much, I've broken bones. It is not fun.
1: <laughs> no, no. And, and, and I didn't feel anything. like, I thought I was fine.
0: Oh, wow. So you were like, you were just like, oh, let me just shake this off and <laughs>
1: walk it off. Yeah, I was, I was thinking like the most I would have is maybe a concussion, even though I had a helmet on, you know, yeah. I did have a helmet on. It's, it actually cracked the helmet. Um, so I thought, well, maybe I've got a concussion, but, Gosh. but the instinct is super powerful. Mm -hmm. I've never felt like an instinct that strong before to just get up and run. There's no way that I could have talked myself out of it. And luckily I had, you know, two medical professionals there with me to like they physically had to hold me down um, in order to keep me from getting up. Once, So once the paramedics arrived, which was, it was a few minutes later, they actually got there pretty quickly, but it was still, it was still a few minutes. Um, and when they started very gently, they started kind of prodding on my neck. That's when the pain kicked in and it, it kicked in with a vengeance. Um, in fact, just like, even at that point, just literally a minuscule little touch on my neck was of yeah, of so then I knew like, Ooh, this isn't good. <laughs> Um, and I'd never broken a bone in my body up till that point.
0: So you didn't even know what the feeling was of a a broken bone. Oh no, it's not. Oh, the pain is excruciating. I can, and I I've broken ankles, I've broken arms when I was a kid, things like that. And I remember very vividly what it feels like when you break a bone, I can only imagine the trauma that you're going. So you're at the, so you're at the hospital now. Um, at what point is this situation uh, going down?
2: (laughs) We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
1: Well, actually, it's sta- the funky thing is it's stabilized. Now, the doctors at first didn't think I was going to survive.
2: Really? Um,
1: and, and the guy, the the physician on site, the the trauma doc, he, he kept coming into my ER room over the course of the afternoon. He's like, God, I can't believe you survived that but they were actually I, I didn't know it at the time um because they don't tell you when you're the the victim that they didn't expect me to survive um there was just so much trauma i had at least 24 bones that were broken in multiple places so it wasn't like easy bone breaks it this was like a completely fractured spine and just shattered And um, so they really didn't expect me to survive. I did obviously the first few days and that's when they put me into surgery. What they wanted to do was install uh, titanium rods. They were gonna do it in my neck and back. They ended up just doing my back um, so that I could heal properly they figured, you know, I guess if, if I lasted a few days already, then the chances of me surviving were pretty good at that point. So that's when everything kind of went, went to heck is, is in surgery. And they gave me the anesthetic and we still don't really know what happened. They did everything properly. I don't there's nothing that they did incorrectly, so I'm not, I don't have any ill will toward the the anesthesiologist or anything. They did the best they could, given my state. Uh, and And it was probably just that I had so much trauma that I coded as soon as they injected me with that anesthesia. And, but I didn't know that, you know, I... I was, I felt okay going into it. And then all of a sudden, as I was starting to drift off from the anesthesia, that's when I noted that I wasn't in the OR anymore or in the hospital at all. And I, instead, I felt like I was out on a, uh, like a meadow on a hillside overlooking, um, you know, distant mountains and a valley. And it was just really beautiful. It was misty and summer, kind of a warm summer day. And I thought, well, this is kind of cool. I can I can hang out here.
0: <laughs> I love your whole attitude to this situation. It's very just like,
1: all right, it's fine.
0: Not freaking out, not stressed out. Like, hey, I was in the hospital second ago, but now I'm in this meadow. It's nice here, I'll, I'll hang out.
1: I'll hang out. I actually just assumed at first That it was a hallucination. That's really my, that was my first assumption. A
0: nice one though. A nice one to be in.
1: Pretty nice. The interesting thing was though, that I was analyzing this whole time. So my brain was, or my, not my brain, but, but my consciousness was still analyzing, which you know, I've I've talked to Evan Alexander about this. Mm-hmm. I've talked to Sam Parnia, who's a physician out in New York, about this, and and even anesthesiologists. This should not have happened. Had it, if, if consciousness was solely produced by the brain, right? What they had given me really should have either given me amnesia or not. I, it should have impacted my brain so much that I couldn't analyze. But I was constantly analyzing. And, and I remembered, you know, I remembered that I had gone into surgery and I remembered all of these different things that had happened. So it wasn't like I was in some la la hallucinatory state. I was super lucid and very rational and, and always analyzing. What I realized almost right away was this was not like, a hallucination. Now I had been given, um, a pain medication several years before for a back injury I had. So, and I did not react well to that and hallucinated for a whole afternoon. So I knew what that felt like. This was not a hallucination. Mm -hmm. And I realized that pretty quickly. And that's when I started to think about what, okay, what else is going on here? And that's when I know I, I kind of, paid more attention to my surroundings at that point point. and that's when i realized now wait a minute i am feeling love coming into me now that can't mm. be because that's not normal <laughs> right i felt like i was being um hugged energetically with love and i'm thinking well wait a minute that's not normal and i felt peace i felt completely at peace And welcomed and accepted and that's when things started to really click like I wonder if I died back on the operating table that was that's when I first realized that I may have died and then the second thought was well wait a minute if I did die down there on the operating table what's this because my parents told me I was going to go to hell because I was an atheist
0: (laughs) obviously obviously (laughs)
1: And and this didn't make sense to be loved and accepted. And that's when I heard, I don't know if it was, it wasn't really hearing so much as feeling through my body, but I, I say, I heard a voice that welcomed me, that this was my home. This is where I belonged. This is, you know, ultimately where, where my soul lives and welcome home. This is it that you are loved that you are you know accepted for who you are all that wonderful stuff that we all want to hear but i was kind of flabbergasted because you know i didn't feel like i deserved it
2: mm-hmm.
1: i didn't at that point in my life i didn't feel like i deserved love from anyone you know mm-hmm. let alone this what i you know, call the divine essence, Um, it was overwhelming, the amount of love that was coming to me. And I just, I didn't really know what to do with it for, for a long time. Now time, it's hard to talk about time when you're in that kind of realm, because it really doesn't exist the way it does here. It doesn't, it doesn't pass the same way so I didn't know how long I was just standing there trying to deal with all of that love and acceptance and where I was. So I was there for a while. And then a figure kind of came up to me, um, sort of almost materializing out of nothing. And it was a figure that looked like a woman. She had long hair um, but she was kind of glowy, you know, silvery looking. Glowy. <laughs> I love yeah, that. I,
0: I love the way you're
1: presenting this. The glowy, you know, sparkles. <laughs> was kind of sparkle. In fact, yeah. that what I, what I tell everybody is that everybody wants to, you know, people want to know what she was wearing. Like, who cares? Pra-
2: Prada. She was
0: wearing Prada. <laughs> right. I think it was pra- Prada or. Versace.
1: It was was actually more like Eileen Fisher.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If you're going to go down that road, sure.
1: (laughs) Very long and flowy, you know, loose top, loose pants, but it was silvery. You know, it was a silvery gray that glittered and glowed. I don't know how else to describe it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, And she welcomed me and she said she was going to be my teacher and teach me what I needed to know in order to make my life on earth one that would be one that one that would be worth living is is the way that she put it meaning clean i'm here to help you clean up your life basically and and help you get on a path of love because those were the two main things that she wanted to accomplish with me mm. was teach me about living a loving life living a love-based life and then learning what to do to kind of get my life back on its track where it was supposed to be originally. And when she said when she said she wanted to send me back here, I was like, "That's not going to happen." I'm
0: good. I'm solid. I'm very good with here and the meadows and the the glowy, sparkly. People. I'm very happy here.
1: Right. And just take me to see my dad and my sister. You know, I've had people that predeceased me, and I'm like, I just want to go talk to my dad or my sister, but that was not to be, Uh, I'm kind of happy in hindsight that they didn't. Otherwise it would have been even harder to come back, but, but um, that wasn't to be. And.
2: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
1: My normal nature as a human being is I'm a bit of a i'm a bit of a rebel and i and i question authority (laughs) so i was questioning her like i i really don't want to go back there what's you know what's up with this i don't remember what you're telling me i agreed to do she said you well you agreed to go back and i'm like i don't remember that kind of challenging her a little bit so she showed me like this video in the air if you've ever seen the movie the shack there's a point in the movie where the protagonist is, is shown like a, a, a past life review or a life review and in the air in front of him. And that's basically what happened to me.
0: So, so my understanding from what it has been explained to me from people who've had near death experiences, it's very similar to the minority report. If you remember Tom Cruise like had video clips and it was moving around, but I've heard it was in like a 360 almost environment and it's all at once and you can understand it all at once. And it's all coming in. Is that kind of what happened to you?
1: Yeah, basically. And the, me- and the funky thing is that the memories come with it and the emotions come with it. So that was really the first review that I had. I had a second one a little bit later because
0: mm-hmm. apparently
1: one wasn't enough.
0: <laughs> She's got a lot of stuff we got to talk to her about.
1: But the first one was really about reminding me why I came here into this life and what I had wanted to accomplish and agreed to do so that was that first one and as soon as that thing came up in front of me then I remembered oh yeah she's right I do remember all that I remember it wasn't just seeing it but it was remembering all the memories flooded back so I just agreed to go along with her you know, thinking in the back of my mind, I was going to be able to talk her out of this decision. <laughs> I was going to stay there. That's great. That's me. I was always trying to figure out a way to get what You were
0: trying to hustle. You were trying to hustle and hack the system already. You just got
1: there. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's just me, you know, and I, I'm sure that she knew this and was well prepared for it, even though she was <laughs> rolling her eyes several times. Like, all righty. Anyway, <sighs> so she took me on this little jaunt through this it's not it wasn't really like the full-on quote afterlife which i don't really like that term anyway because that's that state of being really is our our true essence um but but it looked to me like we were on this little journey through you know for the other
0: the other side yes
1: yeah you know whatever i call it my own little part of the other side and and I learned a lot of different things in different, you know, there was a lot of things I needed to learn, um, you know, the nature of divine love and, and how to be loving to each other here on earth and what that really means um, and the nature of gratitude, what gratitude really is as another form of love, really, it's not, it's not a way to get what you want. It's just another way to share love with, with someone else or to, you know, the divine or whatever you're grateful about. And I learned things like the importance of connecting with other people. Now, I realized that this was in 2014, well before this COVID thing, but they were really stressing that, that I needed to kind of build up my own little community and get involved with communities of people because it would be important in the future. I didn't know what that would be about, but but they were really stressing. And when I say they i knew that there was one teacher with me you know that looked like she was with me but but sort of behind her meaning at a, at a, at a different energy level there were others that were speaking kind of with her and through her so it was like i had multiple teachers working through one you know one well, they- ent-
0: would they be your kind of, would you consider them your spirit guides, ascended masters, God, a council of guides, things like that?
1: Kind of, yeah, I think it was a mix of all of those things. Um, it, it seemed to me like there there might be as many as a hundred that were working through her at different times in total. Not all of them at once, but but depending on what lesson I was being taught, there were different. Um, beings different guides or teachers speaking through her and sometimes directly into me like they would oftentimes override her and just I would get their information directly in especially the longer I was there the more I was able to communicate with all of them on their own level you know of like I never really saw them I only ever saw her but I knew they were there because I was getting these, this information and, and also feelings like love, like when I was getting that love from others that was coming in from them. So it was really challenging <laughs> kind of be in this transition state between human body and this soul essence that we are. So when you're still tethered to a body, like everybody has got an NDE, has had an NDE, you're still tethered to the body to some extent. You're not fully there, you're not fully here. And that's challenging to know which direction to go with this. Um, It was, at times I identified more with my human self. Other times I was, you know, obviously a soul being. So it was kind of going back and forth between those two states but but there was a lot of learning going on and a lot of being challenged by all of these teachers to improve my life and to love other people and to make a positive impact on other people and and on the earth as well so it wasn't like i was being judged or told i was a bad person or whatever they noted all my faults but said you know, you can do better than this. You need to do better than this. You need to extend your love to other people. And, you know, I I kind of had my, my marching orders at that point, but then I went through the, the true life review and I didn't know that's what it was. I had no, no information. I'd never heard of NDEs before this happened to me Mm -hmm. and hadn't heard of Evan Alexander or anybody like that. And I was brought to this pond and shown it was very interesting. Like little, little videos on top of this, all over the surface of this pond, like thousands of little videos. And when I would focus on one of them, I was pulled right back into that bit of my life. So each one of those videos was an incident in my life where I was interacting with someone and some of them were positive, some were negative, some were neutral, but it was my way of reviewing what happened. Now, it wasn't just the powerful part of this was when I would focus on one of those incidents. Not only would I re-experience it from my perspective in that moment, but I was also somehow in the head and heart of the other person I was interacting with. Um, So for example, if I said something inadvertently that, that caused pain, or sometimes when I was, especially when I was younger, I was kind of a, I was kind of snarky to my younger sister. I
0: can't believe that. That It seems so, it seems off, off, off brand of you, Nancy, from what (laughs) I've already taken in.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we, you know, we, we were six kids in our family. So we were always kind of, you know, at each other's and (laughs) And and so if I had an incident where I said something somewhat nasty to my younger sister, I got to experience it from her perspective as well Mm. as mine and feeling her hurt. All I needed was one of those, like all I needed to see was one of those. And it was astoundingly um, transformative.
0: Profound. Yeah. Yeah
1: there's no way that I can really relay to people how powerful this is yeah. when you're in inside the heart and mind of the person that you're interacting with and you get to feel what they're feeling especially if you've done something to hurt that other person it's powerfully transformative like you know at that moment how strongly we're connected how much you're words and actions impact those around you. We like to pretend that they don't, but they really do, um, depending on the situation to a greater or lesser extent. But, but now, because, especially because of that, I approach each situation in my life.
2: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Now back to the show.
1: And that's like every moment of the day, understanding that I can have an impact on someone and that I do have an impact on someone. And that makes me very conscious of how I show up in my life. Uh, I'm very cautious about, you know, interacting with people because I know everybody's in a different place. And Something that may not seem harmful to me may really impact someone else. Um, so that experience of the life review, the the in depth life review, was super powerful. And it wasn't it wasn't just negative stuff. So I want to make sure everybody understands that it's not like they were trying to my t- my my teachers were trying to beat me with how bad of a person I was. That wasn't it. There, it was balanced out. So I was also able to experience times when I helped other people and what that felt like for them and how powerful that was for them. Even little things like saying thank you to a clerk at the grocery store, you know, simple things like that really can make a difference in someone's day. So the whole experience was balanced out so that it would be more of a teaching experience rather than a judgmental experience. Right. Yeah. And, and that was the most powerful part really. I mean, there, there's so much that I learned and I put as much of it as I could into that book. So so,
0: so a lot of the things that you were learning, you are, you were able to bring the back with you because a lot of times you don't remember a lot of these things. When, when these near death experiences happen, they come back and there's feelings, there's understandings, there's basic core ideas, but you, were absorbing and understanding these lessons and you were starting to, there's like, no, you got to take these back with you.
1: Right. Yeah. And even by, like at first, when I woke up in the recovery room, it was, a. I knew that something profound had happened and I knew who I had been with and where I had been. I knew all of that stuff, but I was a little fuzzy on the details. But by the next morning, when I talked to a chaplain, everything just like flooded right back
0: so how so how did you leave from from the place of the pond with the videos how did you get back and did did they go okay it's time to go back now and you're like
1: no nah. exactly <laughs> yeah. you got it so yeah I I they you know I was brought to another meadow and um and my teacher was trying to make me feel light-hearted I think since we were doing what I used to love as a kid, I would spot cloud animals, you know, up in the sky, which is weird. You know, like this is, this is the afterlife. Why are there clouds? But I didn't, you know, it wasn't going there, but so we were doing that for a while. And then she said, I really need to send you back now. And I just like went off. Really? Um, And it just,
0: you just, and the next moment you're in the body.
1: Well, I threw a temper tantrum first, and then <laughs> I, I-, I would expect nothing less. <laughs> I started to act like a two-year-old, you know, and the two-year-old isn't getting what he or she wants, and and like in the middle of that tirade, she sent me back, and I woke up in the recovery room in the middle of the tirade.
0: Oh, really? So you were yeah. you were still like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, kind of.
1: Yeah. And the poor, the anesthesiologist was there. And one of the nurses was, was there, they were checking up on me. And I came up out of this, you know, my anesthesia, screaming, bloody murder.
0: (laughs) But you were, but you coded when you were down there.
1: Yeah. I, so I coded, you know, I coded when they put me under. And I, from what I found out later, I coded for about two minutes or so somewhere between one and a half and two minutes. And then they just said, well, okay, I guess she's fine. They they got me back and they just continued on with the surgery. Um, so I was, I was out in surgery for about a total of two hours, maybe a little bit more. Um, so that's, that's how much, you know, human time this took. But for me, it didn't really, that human time. Doesn't wasn't. matter. Right meaningless
0: so when you came back were you did you because i've heard others say the same this this thing is that you you have no pain in the other side there is there's no pain there's no physical feeling in that sense there's the love the warmth the information the communication but the second you're back in their body everything you're like "Oh, oh oh this hurts or were you just numbed out because of the surgery
1: it was a. It was kind of in between some. So I came back, and they had me on um, pain meds for a couple of days. Now I felt heavy, like the body felt heavy, but not in pain. Right. But it, it felt confining, like all of a sudden I was being shoved back into this little tiny vessel, which is basically what happened. Um, and I felt heavy and. Um, like, why do I need to eat? Why do I need to breathe? What is what's this with having to sleep? You know, I, it just those basic things were like, because I had been gone for what to me seemed like a couple of months. And I'd gotten used to being this expansive soul body, you know, without the need to eat or sleep or what, you know, and the, this physical stuff is gone. So that was the first part that kind of came back was, oh, I just feel heavy. And Ugh, like now granted I was laying in bed for a couple of days. They, they, the docs didn't want me up um, for about two days. So they had me on, uh, I think it was Dilaudid. I really couldn't tolerate many pain meds. So they were, they, they tried hard to find one that would even remotely work for me. And uh, then I, then I got up on the, so the surgery was Monday I, by Wednesday morning, I was up and walking around. And I honestly didn't feel any pain, but Wednesday morning, I also refused pain meds at that point because I told the doc, I don't really need them. Um, I don't need these anymore. (laughs) And I honestly didn't, it wasn't like I was trying to be brave or anything. I just wasn't feeling any pain. Right. Um, I had a little bit of like a little pulling or tugging where the surgical site was you know where they they had stitched me up but but I wasn't really feeling any pain and he was like flabbergasted at that there should you should be on pain meds for at least four weeks and I said you can give them to me but I'm not taking them you might as well just keep them and and that's really all I was on. Now, once in a while, if I, if that surgical site pain came back, I would take a little bit of ibuprofen, not ibuprofen, excuse I me, don't know. Tylenol. And that was really it. Um, so,
0: so almost, a, it's a, it sounds like this was a semi gift given to you because you should have been in been pain. I mean, your back was broken in a bunch of places. You had metal rods in your back. I mean-
1: yeah it should have been
0: as 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 they say you should be feeling something
1: and i was you know like i had a broken pelvis i had five broken ribs and if anybody has had one of those before they've You're told breathing you be exact like breathing
0: I you can't you didn't feel anything
1: oh well. and so, i had um, a broken collarbone which i understand is pretty painful too <laughs>
0: you understand is pretty painful. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> so you didn't feel, so this was again, kind of like almost a divine gift of, of no pain or very minimal pain, if any, uh, nice. d- during your recovery. So as you're recovering and now your life is, uh, you know, you, you look at your life. I'm assuming when you come back, there's plenty of time to think, plenty of time to contemplate what was going on. All this information comes flying back to you. At that point you said, you know what, screw this. I'm just going to watch some Netflix or, (laughs) or do you just like, what's, what are the mechanisms that start you on this path? And what, what did, did you have any dreams afterwards? Cause I've heard that like, you know, dreams that kind of reinforce what had happened. Anything else happened after that?
1: Yeah, that was really the start of a whole bunch of stuff. I, I, you know, it was, and I knew within that first week, so I was in the hospital for two weeks. Total. Um, So, about a week and a half after my surgery, I was still in, and and I had a lot of opportunity to think. First, at first, you know, everybody around me was was trying to get me into this mental state of you should be angry at the woman who hit you. You should feel venom toward her, hate toward whatever. You know, people were just angry for me, and and even within that first week, I knew that I had a choice
2: we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show
1: so i could choose to live from the state that of being that i had just learned about or i could go back to the old me which it would have been you know being spiteful or hateful or whatever toward this person so i i just very consciously at that point within that first week chose to, to walk the path that I had just learned about. Now it wasn't, it wasn't like fully stepping onto it. All of a sudden there was a learning process, but I made the choice at that point, the next 18 months was, was the biggest, and I'm still learning now, but that first 18 months was really the biggest part of my learning curve. And it went back and forth. Like there were some times where I really just wanted to watch Netflix and not think about all this stuff and, and change my life, but that didn't last long because I knew that this was again, a conscious choice for me to be back here, to be in this place, living this life, doing what I was supposed to do, learning what I was needing to learn still. But it would take a while for me to really bring all those lessons fully into my life and change the way that I lived it. So I gave myself a bit of a break, like, okay, I know this is going to take some time. It's different for every person. Some endy ears will choose never to do it. They'll just go back to the way they were. It's too hard. They don't want to face it. I've heard some that were so angry at being sent back that for 20 years, they just lived in this state of anger. And I did not want to be that person. So I I really wanted to do the best I could um, to change my life for the better. Now I had no idea where that was going to lead me. Mm -hmm. You know, I just thought, well, I'll do my thing and I'll help my friends and help my family and, and just, be me, but in a slightly different way. Now, um,
0: one question I love asking NDEers is that obviously you were a certain kind of person before the NDE, and then after you came back, it's a very different person. It, generally, it's very difficult for the people around you, your loved ones, your friends, colleagues, to start accepting this. And, and even before you publicly come out of the closet with an NDE, Just your energy is different. The way you look at life, like that whole concept of you being venomous towards the person who hits you, everybody else is like, why aren't you angry? That's difficult for people around. So how did you handle psychologically, handle the way people around you, close people around you were dealing with the person you became? And then especially after you came publicly out with this NDE
1: that was hard um i'll I'll fully admit that was really challenging it was luckily i had some really good core friends that loved me no matter what so there was that core group of people and two of my sisters were just right there with me they they were already spiritual so they're like you know thinking well finally she's come around so i had a group of maybe a half a dozen You know, between friends and and my two sisters, who were with me no matter what, I did lose a lot of colleagues.
0: Oh, I can imagine in the scientific community. I mean, I've I've talked to many neurosurgeons and like Evan and people are like, "You're nuts! You're absolutely crazy!"
1: Yeah, and and I've I, I just had to say, "Okay, I understand where you are, but I can't go back to that way of being because I know I know that's not correct." I know there's more and, but they're, they're just not, they're not ready for that. That's okay. You know, I, I understood that and we parted kind of in peace, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't angry about it. I just knew that they couldn't follow me where I was going and that's fine. Not everybody can. Um, <clears throat> it's been the, you know, the challenging thing really has been with with people around me who who have known me before and know me now for some of them it is the different reactions like even today it's been eight years or more um I I don't react the same way you know I would normally go into anger or hurt or whatever just like the drop of a hat because I was just so um identifying with my human ego in that, that fearful human ego. And when the fear was stripped away. So when the fear of death for me was stripped away with this, that completely changed everything. Um, Along with that, that life review, those two things completely changed my attitude. Now, a lot of times now with my friends and family, I, I really don't talk about this much. You know what we're talking about here. I'm just, I just act differently, um, but I don't put any kind of judgment on them. I don't, don't bring any of this information to them at all unless they ask for it. So it's not like I'm out there, you know, preaching, preaching. Yeah. I'm just me. I'm just doing things differently. Um, it, sometimes, if if a friend or or even a family member gets stuck or they're in a situation where I feel I need to say something, I'll say something as gently as possible, and then just let it go. Um, It's not up for me, I understand it's everybody's on his or her own path through this life. And it's not really up to me to to tell people what they should be doing. I can certainly, you know, give somebody a different viewpoint, but but I'll just be here in support. That's it.
0: So when you came back, did you also notice any different abilities or just senses about things that you, you know, more sensitive to people's energy, more sensitive to situations (laughs) for everyone not watching this, her eyes just went straight up into the air (laughs) Um, because, you know, being more empathic to, to energies of people and feeling that what, what did you, what is heightened now since you've come back?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of different aspects of of me that have kind of expanded. I think these were always there, but they were just, and I think everybody has different abilities. We just tamp them down while we're in this human body. But what I noticed right away is that I could see energy like I did on the other side. So I could like with with my eyes open, I could see the energy connections that we all shared. Um, not only with each other as human beings, but with animals and, and the world around us. So I could see like this scintillating web of energy that connected everyone and everything. It took me a while to learn how to control that because it's really tough to walk around in that state where you're seeing all of this energy. So I learned how to turn it on and off over time. It took a while that was the first thing I noticed was, whoa, you know, this is really powerful. I'm still kind of halfway on the other side. Um, along with that, though, I can more strongly sense people's energies. And and that's become very important to me. It's a, it's a strong part of what I do now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not like I try to like spy on people or anything like that. That's not it. But I can gauge the energy of any situation just by, you know, tuning into that when I walk into whatever situation it is. Um so there's that piece of it. I've my ability to be connected with people who aren't physically here in the room with me has gotten crazy strong. And I'll give you an example of that. So there was a friend of mine um, who was living, this wasn't too long after my NDE, by the way, um, she was living about 1,500 miles away from me. So a long way. And, and she was a bit younger than I, but it, and the last time I talked to her, she and her husband were not going to have kids. It was just off the table. And I woke up one morning out of the blue with this incredible knowing that she was pregnant. Like, oh my God, she's pregnant. She told me she wasn't ever going to do that. <laughs> so I emailed her, you know, if you know, when I was up and around, and 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 she said, Yeah, I haven't even told my husband yet. How'd you know? <laughs> so that's what I mean by like I'm sensing those connections really strongly. Like I'm just all of a sudden in tune with people in a way that I hadn't been before it wasn't like I was, you know, doing a remote viewing on her or anything. It was just, I knew, I knew. It's,
0: it seems that it's really interesting because a lot of ND ears that I speak to and also spiritual masters that I've spoken to over the course of the, of the show, um, there's a knowing.
2: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
0: Um, there's a, a knowing of the truth, and it's not up for debate, and it's not man made truth. It is a divine truth that they just understand that the sky is blue, the water is wet, a rock is hard. These are truths that are not, there's not a conversation to be had about this. You know, um, it's not opinion. But it's a knowing inside of them that is the truth for them. And it seems that a lot of that, when you start tapping into that, it's extremely powerful in your life. And it starts to navigate your life in a way that uh, was unimaginable prior to finding that truth or truths in, right. in plural. Is that, is that a fair statement?
1: Yeah. And it, it does show up in ways that you wouldn't really expect, um, that, that knowing. Like, um, I have a really, here's another example. Like when I came back here, I had this insatiable need to understand our understanding of quantum physics, because I knew that that was, that part of the sciences was kind of getting itself on the right track of where we wanted to go. But, but I also had this huge understanding that and knowing that time as we perceive it the passage of time doesn't really exist it, it, it's here in our in our reality and that this reality that we're in is a simulation by I know it's a it's for some people that's hard to swallow but
0: the matrix we're in the Yes,
1: yeah, but I I knew it and I knew that this whole thing of time passing wasn't ultimate reality it was yeah. it was a part of this thing that we're in right now but it wasn't ultimately real
0: but it's only real because we happen to be so many miles from the earth and the earth rotates so many times and then we have put these numbers on it but if you travel out a light year or two away there's no time not the time that we know we can't oh. time does not arguably exist yeah it only exists if we were in jupiter time would be different if we were in neptune Time would be tracked differently based around how many rotations we go around the Earth, around the sun. So if there was no sun and we're out Star Trek style light years away, there, there's just no time, you know. So I, that's not even arguable at, at this point. Like time is a man-made construct right. of Earth,
2: I mean, right?
0: As it goes, do we get old? Yes, and that's a whole other conversation, uh, you know, and, and things like that. But it doesn't—it it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist as uh, as a scientific fact, other no, than what we've what we created.
1: And that's pretty clear. I mean, we're in this in this reality that we're in. Kind of, we're almost uh, chained to the concept of time passing. But when you pull yourself out of that. And I did, like, I still live in this weird state where time is mean to me, it's sort of meaningless. It has unfortunate repercussions sometime in this physical reality, because the concept of like a particular day, like, for example, if I have a doc, this happens a lot. If I have a doctor's appointment, let's say that's scheduled for next week i'll show up there tomorrow because to me it's just all now <laughs> and i i've had to really rely on my google calendar you know to know okay at this point in human in in the human existence it's you know 10 30 in the morning on this particular day and and i let it remind me when i'm supposed to show up somewhere i've I never had to do that before but I'm only like barely tethered to this part, that this this reality of time that we have, which is interesting because then it allows you, at least for me, to almost be able to hear and experience other quote times from this in this place that we call Earth. So I I can go to a specific location, and it's almost like tuning a radio dial for me. Where I can tune into what was going on there, there at that place at a specific point in the in the past that I shouldn't really know about, um, and this happened spontaneously at first. I had no idea that I could do this, um, but it started to happen about eighteen months after my NDE, and it became very powerful and and, and hard to control at first. Now I can control it, but but it is. It's like. If you know that th- that time doesn't, if you truly know deeply in your soul that time itself doesn't exist, then being able to tune into other quote times isn't really that big of a deal. Um, but you have to, <laughs> you have to get over that mental hurdle that you have that, oh, I can't, I can't access that because that's a thousand years ago.
0: It, it's really interesting too, because, and you were talking about hurdles you know, we all we all have an, we have so many hurdles and so many blocks that we put on ourselves that we don't believe in certain things. And you know, when I finally decided that the that I'm being guided for better or worse, because you start as you get older, you look back at life and you're going, how did, how did I meet that person on that day that then touched me over here and then I got that job there?" And then there's too many coincidences. For the path that you're, you're walking in life yeah. and things that you wanted to happen. We never really know what's good for us ever. It never, we just, we, we're really bad at that. So we're like, I really wanted to get that thing and it doesn't happen. You think the world is coming to an end. And then five years later, you're going, Oh God, thank God I didn't go out with that girl or thank God I didn't get that job or thank God I didn't travel that day. All these kind of things. And when you kind of have the belief and get over the idea that you are. I don't want to say that you're not in control of your life because we all have free will. But the broad strokes, I feel like we're being guided into what we have to be doing on this planet. Like tomorrow, I can say I want to be an astronaut or I want to be a basketball player, professional basketball player. First of all, not going to happen because I wasn't prepared for that. Uh, This body, not built for the NBA (laughs) or any professional sports for that matter. Um, But maybe I'll go down that path for three or four years, five years, and just realize it and wasted three or four, or five years and learned a lot of lessons. But you you start getting pushed back in the right way. And it's kind of like what you said, that you were kind of like in that in-between place before your NDE. You're like, I don't know where to go. And then something, life came in and said, the universe came in and said, okay, it's time.
1: Yeah. yeah, And it's a, it's a matter of learning to just trust that guidance is going to to be there and it is there it's not like everyone for everyone yeah we we can a lot of us especially those of us who like before i was a type a personality i still can be if i want to be but i tend not to be that way anymore. where i'm driven like it's all about my decisions and doing this and you know making sure that if i want to do that i just forge ahead and do it no matter what um and I'm five foot three, if I wanted to be a pro basketball player, that's not going to happen, but I would have probably still forged ahead and, and gotten, you know, slapped around a little bit, but it, it, it's, you come to that state where, like you said, you, you look back on things that happen just the right way to get you to where you really need to go. And, and then you begin to be able to trust uh, okay, if I relax a little bit and just allow that guidance to come through, that it is there, and and I can relax. I still, like you said, I still have free will. I still have this thing in my mind that that I want to accomplish or things I want to do or see or experience, but I don't have to try to drive it all the time, and, and that's okay. You know, you can let those synchronicities come, and that's been a beautiful thing to see in my life, like all of those things that I couldn't have planned. I couldn't have made those people come together to help me.
0: No, I mean, and I I always use the example of my very first show. Uh, You know, I did 425 episodes over the course of three or four years before my first big guest showed up. And then the door swung wide open. It's not that you don't have to work. You have to work towards the goal, but you have to trust that things are are walking the path that you need to do. So it's it, you can't just sit back, eat bonbons, and watch Netflix all day and go, come to me. No, no, you you have to be in action, uh, as, as they say, karma, car, uh, karma yoga, where's uh, like which is a yoga of action, and you have to be moving. But it's it's broad strokes guidance, kind of yeah. like you know guiding a horse as it's walking. You still have to walk, but they will tell you which way to go, and things will start falling in your path that would have never happened if you didn't start working. So because of all of these things of working so long, doing almost a thousand episodes of podcasting at this point in my career, so many connections, so many friendships, so many opportunities have been brought into my life because I'm doing the work, But but I'm not worried about where it's going.
2: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. now back to the show
0: i'd like it to go someplace but i'm my ego is starting to realize that i know nothing (laughs) (laughs) and i just need to have faith and and trust and let the guides and let the guidance do what they do and it's not going to happen tomorrow it takes time to do would you agree
1: yeah, well, I think sometimes it does happen tomorrow. So, well,
0: it depends on what day you depends on what day you start. It could happen yeah, tomorrow, but generally but, speaking.
1: But a lot of time, you know, it is. You have to put that work and you have to take action. Like, you know, I I tell people cuz you know, I've written a book or two and and I, you know, I'm also an artist when I'm not doing this stuff. A, a painting doesn't paint itself. But when you're, when you're at the easel and any of you who sculpt or write, you know, whatever, do choreography, you, you understand what I'm talking about. You've got to go there. You've got to show up at the easel and you've got to put in, you know, got to put paint on canvas, but you know, when you're in the middle of it, if it's going right or not. Now, there are times when I'm at the canvas where, and this happens more and more, the more I get out of my own way. And I think that's a key for all of life, not just art, the arts learning how to step back and allow that guidance to come through when I'm able to do that it is if as if someone else is painting that painting for me but even then I'm still up there with the brush in my hand and putting strokes on the canvas so it, it's a for each person y- you know you have to learn how to balance that it's going to be a little bit of a different balance for each person but I guarantee you if you're the one if you're the type that just is, your ego is going to drive the whole thing no matter what, and you're going to not listen to any guidance from that, you know, the, the etheric realm, it it might be harder for you. You know, life is going to be harder for you. But if you feel like you're on that wave, meaning you, you, you're taking action and you're able to kind of adjust your direction based on how things are feeling like, oh yeah, that feels like that particular art form isn't for me. I'm going to try this one instead. And, oh, that feels better. I feel like I'm I'm in my groove with this one. You have to learn, I call it like surfing that wave. Like you have to know and trust when you're in that zone, it's being in the zone that that's, that's your right path and just let things happen. And I've had a couple of things like that happen just in my art career in the last few days, like things I would never... I hadn't even thought to do like people contacting me for articles in national magazines. I'd never even thought of that. But, but I had put this intention out a couple of months ago, um, that I wanted to really now blossom my art career now that, um, you know, my books were out and, and that kind of thing. So I wanted to pay more attention to that. And as soon as I put that energy in and the work in, then things started to blossom in that side of my myself as well. So it is, it is true, but you have to learn your own balance. Everybody is gonna be a little bit different with the balancing between the driven ego and just allowing that stuff to unfold.
0: But I think is what you're saying is absolutely true. But when you let go of, uh, when you start to believe more in that guidance and that faith, the thing that you have to let go of is fear yeah it's it's that whole you know walk off the cliff then someone will be there the net will be there to, to catch you kind of vibe and if i may go back to an indiana jones reference uh the last you see i got you the last crusade trust and in indiana on that on the way to the it was the uh cup of christ um he steps out and there was a bridge waiting there but to his eyes, he could not see that bridge. Right. So that is basically life in so many ways, it's stepping in, trusting, getting rid of the fear, knowing that you are loved, that you are taken care of, and you are going to go through uh, good, good, quote, unquote, good or bad. It all depends on perspective. Uh, one question, when you were up there, Uh, up there it's like I say like it's uh, upstairs when you were in that place um, on the other side the concept of good and bad is so much of a human morality play as opposed to looking at it from the divine because and I love using this example like a car accident no pun intended Uh, a car accident uh, is horrible for the person who had the car accident it's a very negative situation, very positive for the mechanic. So it's all it's the same accident and the same thing, but completely different. So if a tree falls and kills somebody and the and lies on top of somebody and the guy that person dies underneath the, the tree because no one heard them, horrible negative situation. But for the animals that come around and have a feast, it positive situation. So it's you know, it was very dark, sorry. But um, but generally speaking it's all perspective. So did you sense any of that? Cause you kind of touched upon that with the negative and the positive feelings of, of how people felt.
1: Yeah. It's um, it is a little bit more complicated than, uh, than our typical view of quote, right. And wrong. Um, the, the, the way that it was looked on, you know, during my life review with my teacher was not so much negative versus positive. It was, can you learn from this? What did you learn from this? Whatever it is, whether you would see it as positive or not. um, We don't really know, like you said, in the whole grand scheme of things, positive and negative is totally relative. But, But the whole point of it really is, what are you learning from this? And are you taking away that learning and changing the way that you approach your life so that you're helping more people and that was the whole key of it is are you promoting um are you promoting goodwill are you promoting positive energy are you promoting love is really what it boils down to are you trying to expand love in your life or are you trying to you know shrink it and it's really all about at least from what i saw anyway and and what it meant for me was the expansion of love. now it's not just romantic love i'm talking about. it's just love. it you know, friendship, neighbors, you know, everybody around you. are you ex- expanding divine love in your, you know, sphere of influence or are you not? and and that's really for me how i look at it. Because we can either get in tune and in vibration with that, that sense of divine love, that that higher state of being, that higher state of consciousness, or we can identify ourselves with a lower state of, of consciousness, which kind of detracts from love. I just see it as I still am in that energy mode. So for me, it's the energy wave of divine love versus not and you and I don't want to detract from that energy wave of love around me I want to expand it I want to um, magnify it if you will by putting out there you know positive things that I consider positive or loving but but again it's all about learning and learning how to be more in tune with that that state of flow that we would call divine love
0: yeah, and, and it seems to me that where there's love, there can't be fear. Right. Uh, love is a much more powerful, energetically uh, energetically powerful, um, quote-unquote, emotion or energy than fear. Fear is very down at the primal level, mm-hmm. and and love is at the very top of that of that pyramid, if you will. So mm-hmm. if you are promoting love, it's very difficult to be afraid. And like you said earlier, like when you, when the, when the fear of death was stripped from you, that gift of the fear of death, it all, all of a sudden you were just like, Oh, I, I feel that I feel the difference of it now.
1: It's a huge weight when that's gone. I mean, even people who feel that they're religious, they, I still, still see that they have that fear and it, and it can really cloud the way that you approach even the smallest things in your life. But, but you're right that when you really put yourself strongly in tune with that energy of, of divine love, and that's what I teach people when I do give workshops and stuff, it's, if you find yourself going into that fearful state of being, immediately go into a meditation of some kind or another or a prayer or whatever Uh, most people find the meditation works better but but get into that meditative state that's really more aligned with love to just counteract it and get yourself into it there's some super easy things that i teach people and one of them is just to like think about really deeply think about and contemplate a person or even a pet that you love very deeply (laughs)
2: we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
1: And allow yourself to focus on that feeling of love until you kind of pull yourself out of that fearful right. state. That's just a super easy simple way for people to make that transition out. There's others too, but but that's one that we can kind of all identify with. And I use it even even now like if I find myself um, starting to go like, just, I don't go all the way down that fear path anymore, but my, if my old patterns are starting to reemerge, I'll go right back into a love-based meditation and, and just override it. Um, it really helps.
0: As, as someone, someone said somewhere, uh, we all want to go to heaven, but just not right now. Uh, <laughs> and, and many near deathers are like, no, no, now is fine. I'm oh, I, right. I can go now. Anytime you want to take me, <laughs> now it now it's like until until my work is done,
1: yeah.
0: And, and that's the bit, and that's the big thing. It's it's the finding that mission in your life and finding that thing. I do. I just want to ask you uh, before we we wrap up. There's so many of us trying to figure out what that mission is. You were given that gift of understanding what the mission is, but you you didn't know it until. You got to get dragged the Indiana Jones style underneath a, an SUV. Hopefully we all don't have to go through that to get to that, uh, that answer. But what, what would you give as far as advice for people trying to find out why they're here, what their purpose is and how they can navigate life a little bit easier?
1: Yeah, there's, um. if I look back on my life before, what I saw was, all of the different experiences that I was aligning myself with becoming a scientist doing, I actually did the Indiana Jones thing, by the way, I did a lot of archaeology work. So I, I, I was actually in uh, the Middle East, right, as they were filming that section of Indiana Jones that you just talked about, like at the same place, we, we were all in. Petra. Oh, you were,
0: that was 90, 92 or something like 91, 92 yeah. around that time. Yeah, that's when they were doing Last Crusade.
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. so, so you
0: were there. You know, Where's that called? That big, that big temple that
1: they walked into? Um, That's called the treasury El khazneh It's in yeah. Petra. in Jordan. Petra.
0: That's what it is it's in Jordan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: It's a beautiful site. If anybody gets a chance to go there, um, pretty magical place. But, but um, so if I look back, I learned a lot of stuff early in my life that I'm completely using right now. Like all of those things, led me to be able to do this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, if I, if one of those pieces hadn't been there, this journey that I'm on right now, especially as I'm doing, as I'm doing workshops and teaching and all that kind of stuff. If I hadn't had those experiences before, this would be very difficult for me right now. Like I, I was a, a scientific trainer, not just a writer, um, but I was also training people. And that allowed me to be able to speak and put together training materials. And, you know, if you look back, just trust, you can look back at your life. And and if you're examining, like, where am I in my life? What am I here to do? Think about all those things that you really enjoy is one. Like, if you want to list them out, all those things you enjoy doing, and then another list of all the things that you're good at those things that you really enjoy where time seems to be non-existent. If you get in that state of flow, let's say while you're, um, I, you know, I don't know, playing the flute or whatever, that can be an indicator that, you know, music is part of your path. It may not be the thing that you're supposed to make your money at, but it's certainly something that you, that's On your soul's path now we have in the at least in the u.s tend to have this thing where we think um, my reason for coming here is also the thing that i must do in order to make a living and i want people to pull those two apart it may be that that is the case but it may not be either so don't put pressure on the thing that you're you love to do to be your sole way of making money at least at first just pull those apart right now while you're thinking about it and just look back at what are those things that really where where I do them time just seems to just disappear Um, what are the things that I have been challenged with in my lifetime what would I like to bring what would what changes would I like to see in the world all of those questions can lead you to why it is that you came here if you're passionate about let's say for example ending um childhood abuse and and you were challenged as a child with being abused that's probably one of those things that's on your soul's path it could be a volunteer position that you have that you feel really good about doing it could be that you start up an organization that um, tries to to change that situation and get rid of childhood abuse. But that's the way you look at it is, you know, what do I love to do? What, what things would I like to see different in the world? What are my passions? Um, what was I challenged with? What were my big challenges? Sometimes our biggest challenges, once we overcome them, can be our biggest gift to the world. Um, and I, there's so many examples of this on like YouTube or, or uh, LinkedIn or all those social media platforms. And I'm fortunately like blanking on specific names right now, but, but you've seen all the videos of people who are, let's say physically challenged, who have taken what they've learned from their physical disability and are teaching others now how to be different in their lives, how to look get their lives with gratitude instead of disdain, Um, how to be grateful for the smallest thing. So look at your challenges and see what's coming up. And then the other thing too, if you're really dead set on finding, you know, the thing that I'm supposed to be here for, and usually people have multiple things they are gonna do. um, There are hypnosis techniques. If you really wanna go that route, there are hypnosis techniques um, by different practitioners that can bring that information out for you. But I always encourage people to just look at their lives first, look at where your heart sings.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's something as, as negative as an accident that, you know, you lose a limb or you're disfigured or something along those lines. I've seen so many people who've turned that quote unquote negative scenario and it becomes the mission of their life to teach mm-hmm. others and, and or to find a cure. If you're like, oh, your mom died of this disease, and I'm going to become a scientist to find a find a cure for that disease. And th- there's so many of these things that we look as negative or positive. It, it it's it's kind of difficult. And it's, I know it's hard for, depending on where you are on your path to to disconnect from the negative and positive. And I've had a lot of negative things happen in my life. You know, hopefully I won't have many more. But unless I have to have them as I move forward, but even even as recent as, as a few days ago, I, there was a negative thing that happened to me. I'm like, and I before would go right into the anger, defensive fear phase. And I did for a minute, you know, trying to figure out, okay, because then your analytical mind's like, okay, if I do this, and then you start becoming the chess player. I'm like, well, if I move over here, then I can protect myself and I could do that. And, and then, at, at a, you know, once you have a, a minute or two to take a breath, you just go, oh, what is this trying to teach me? why is this in front of my path right now? Because it's just too many things aligned for this to happen. I have to look at that and and really try to figure out. And then as you start analyzing, you go, okay, so this is why this person is in my life right now. This is a lesson he's here to teach me. Okay. Let me, let me change my perspective. Let me change my, my approach to the scenario. So if you are, at that place in your life where you can just stand back for a second and go, I can't see this car accident. Why did I get into this car accident? Uh, nothing as extreme as yours, but even a fender bender. What's happening in my life? What do I need, to, what am I need to learn here? Things like that. It's because they're all, te- everything's teaching. Everything's teaching you lessons all around.
1: Yeah, to me now, every, um, every moment is either a lesson or an opportunity. So that's how I look at at everything. Um, I don't you know, I'm not that way. You know, most of my days are pretty calm, but but
2: we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor And now back to the show.
1: when i'm especially when I'm with other people, I look at my interactions with other people and those incidents that you you know we talk about. As either a lesson or an opportunity, and the opportunity could be um, to learn how to love more, to be more loving, to help someone else. To who, who knows? I mean, there's so many different ways we can have an opportunity come into our lives. Um, but but the the lesson thing that's that's powerful for people too. If you can get yourself out of the the um, the ego based. Oh my gosh, that was a victim that thing hurt me and get out of the victim mode and say, okay, what am I supposed to learn from this? Like you described, that's a power. That's also a powerful way to transform your life. Just Mm -hmm. get yourself up out of feeling hurt. And I know it's hard. I trust me. I've been, it's
0: not, it's not easy.
1: (laughs) It's not easy, but, but even if you can back out of it a little bit and analyze the lesson or the opportunity here, I think it's going to help people. Um, kind of get into a better state most, you know, for, for the majority of their lives.
0: Now, uh, Nancy, I'm going to ask you a few questions, to ask all my guess. Okay. Um, what is your definition of a good life?
1: Yeah, for me, it's helping other people <clears throat> in whatever way that I'm allowed to do that and helping people live that, you know, more creative, less fear-based, more love-centered life, um, I think that's like, I think that's pretty that's good. Like, that's pretty that's good. The Biggest one right there. Yeah. I think that does it.
0: <laughs> now, what is your mission in this life?
1: Uh, let's see for my own, my own higher self. I think it's to learn how to live in that state of love. In a whole bunch of different circumstances, because I've been presented with a lot of them. So it, it is learning how to live in that state of love, no matter what. And part of that is also learning to live in that state of creativity. And creativity doesn't just mean painting or, you know, whatever creative endeavor. It's it's the living creatively, living from a place of being curious and open and um, expansive.
0: And where can people find out more about you and how can they get their, your book, Awakening from the Light and your other book, uh, I forgot the title of it as well, Locking, but where can walking. they yeah, where can they find, find out more about you and the work you're doing, my dear?
1: So books are on amazon.com and my, my name is Nancy and the last name is Ryans, R-Y-N-E-S. And then you can take a look at my website, nancyryans.com and that has all the information on there.
0: Nancy, it has been such a pleasure talking to you today. I mean, you're you're a spark plug. I love, I love your, your rebel energy, like you're <laughs> questioning the spirit guide that's walking you through the other side. I absolutely love that energy about you. And I appreciate everything you're doing for the world and hopefully trying to make it a better place. So I appreciate you, my dear.
1: Thank you so much, Alex. Thanks for having me on. <laughs>
0: I want to thank Nancy so much for coming on the show and sharing her story with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 146. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey.